The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Before we get into things, uh, first of all, my name is Tim, Tim Cartwright. I'm one of the pastors here at Temple Bible Church and love to welcome you guys to the service today. Uh, one thing I just want to highlight is that the garage sale is this week, as you saw in the video announcements, and really we could use your help <clears throat> volunteering in different ways. Uh, so it could be taking in the stuff that people are donating, working the sale Friday night, Saturday morning, and most importantly, we always need more help uh, cleaning up. Everyone likes to be part of the sale, but it's kind of hard to get everybody to clean up afterwards. It's kind of like the kids you know, at home, well, they like to play, but when it comes to cleaning up, it's a little more difficult. So please go to the uh, hub on our website and sign up for that. Uh, so we are on the topic of disconnected parents today. We've done a series on uh, disconnected and being disconnected from different things in our faith. And today, the topic is parents, and I have to say this up front, I do not stand before you as some wise sage who has it all together. Now, my wife might have it all together, but I definitely don't. So these encouragements are things from Scripture, things we can learn from others. If you're a college student, single person, grandparent in here, it doesn't matter. You don't have to check out because every single one of these are great principles to learn from and apply to your life and uh, it's, it's some good stuff in here, not because I'm speaking, but because it's in the Word of God. That's most important. So to start off with, I thought I might tell you a little bit about uh, my kids, because if I'm talking about parenting, I have to show that I actually have some kids, you know, and they're, they're great kids. And uh, usually like a parent, if they get up on stage, they talk about all the awesome things their kids do, right? But I'm not like that, Okay. Uh, I grew up in Philadelphia. We see things differently uh, than a lot of people. And so we focused on other things, mostly things that are funny to me. And uh, so I did, they're over there, three of them are over there. And I did kind of get their permission. I told them I was doing this. I didn't really ask them. Uh, so it should be fun. So I'm going to start with my oldest, Sydney. Uh, she is 14 years old. But when she was little, she was about two years old, she had a stomach bug, and she was struggling, and she had thrown up a few times, but she, what I thought was better, and uh, I went up to her, and I'm one of those dads who, like, are on the border of injuring the kids while I play with them. You know, my wife's like, you might not want to do that, you might pull his arm out of socket, that type of stuff. So I get Sydney, and I go up to her, I'm like, I'm so glad you're feeling better, and I grab her by the waist, throw her up in the air a few times. I throw her up in the air one too many times because that time throw up came out of her mouth and went into my mouth. Uh, so that was amazing. College students are like, that's why I'm not having kids. Uh, no, please have kids. We need more kids, okay? So, uh, <clears throat> so then there's Kendall. And Kendall, there's a million different quotes I have from Kendall. She's our resident comedian. Uh, just hilarious girl, sometimes or a lot of times at my own expense. Um, she's really sarcastic. Uh, so she, at seven years old, Candace was tucking Kendall into bed. She said, good night, sweet baby girl. Kendall says, I'm not a baby. And Candace says, you'll always be my baby even when you're grown up. Kendall replies, when I'm grown up, you'll be dead. Can I have... <laughs> and, she... and she followed it up with, can I have waffles for breakfast? Uh... So that's Kendall. Then we come down to Noah. 
There's a lot of stories about Noah, and uh, this one particular one, we were in the process of training to become foster parents to hopefully uh, adopt someday, and so there was a CPS lady at our house, my wife was the only one there, and uh, uh, she put Noah down for a nap, and uh, normally he's a little noisy getting ready for his nap, but he was extremely quiet at this moment, and so uh, Candace goes in to check on on him, and so Remember, there's a CPS agent here in the living room, right? She knocks on the door, pushes it open, and he immediately exclaims, please don't spank me. Please don't spank me. (laughs) And he yelled this at the top of his lungs, here's the CPS worker, and you're supposed to check a box that says you will not spank this child. And uh, he had proceeded to show her his car he had been playing with, and he created dirt tracks. Well, there's no dirt in his room, and there was none on his shoes. It was actually in his diaper. And uh, he was making tracks on the back of the door, dirt tracks. So that's Noah. And then, uh, <clears throat> and then we got Owen. Owen, we got him at a week old, and we are so happy he is part of our family. He's just jumped in, and just it's, it's amazing. I have lots of stories of Owen. A number of them I can't share from the stage, and if... They're worse than the ones I just shared. You know it's exciting (laughs) with Owen. So I didn't want to rag on Owen too much, so I just wanted to show you this little video of Owen that we took recently. So check this out. Go! Oh, my Sasha. Oh, my little Sasha. You will have me as good as I play. And you know, dear, I was a wolf, you. Oh, there's Owen right there. So those that are single, I was discouraging them from having kids the first three. And that I just want to encourage you, hey, it is sweet sometimes too. Uh, So yeah, throughout this series, we looked at ways we've become disconnected. Disconnected from different things, disconnected from maybe habits that um, we should have as a believer Um, And at our church here, we have three main core values, uh, surrender, community, and mission. We try to focus on those core values and and our lives live out of lives of surrender to our Savior. And so oftentimes when we get disconnected from these values, uh, we can be disconnected in our parenting as well for parents. Uh, Oftentimes we try to fix the issue in our power and through our own ingenuity And what we often discount is the amazing power of God's Word. R.C. Sproul puts it this way. He says, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests His power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique, in anything and everything but that in which God has placed it, His Word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity. And that power is focused on the Scriptures. And author uh, Paul Tripp uh, wrote one of the best books I've ever read on parenting. If you've never read it, you need to get it. If you're a grandparent, buy it for your children. Uh, It is a powerful book. And he says, if you're going to be what God has designed you to be as a parent and do what he's called you to do, you must confess one essential thing. This confession has the power to change much about the way you act and react toward your children. It is vital that you believe and admit that you have no power whatsoever to change your child. It doesn't exist in you. 
You have no power to change your child. It's a strong statement. And over 42 years of being a pastor's kid, 14 years of being a parent, 20 plus years of working with young people, I've seen a lot of bad parenting. (laughs) I have been that bad parent. And it's based on those observations is what we come to today in these disconnected principles, these things that we can look at to try to help us understand here's things that we can become disconnected from if we're not careful. So first one is disconnected from eternal reality. Eternal reality. You know, oftentimes we tend to focus on the immediate. The temporary. I don't know about you, but that's kind of my focus a lot of times, whatever's happening in front of me. Especially if you're a young parent and you got a lot of things going on, you may be changing diapers, you may be changing, you know, getting the bottle ready or feeding the kid, you know, worrying about this, worrying about that, getting them to this activity, that one. And with four kids, it's like, I hope this person can pick them up because neither my wife or I can. And it's kind of that type of thing. You just scramble it. And it's just the immediate, it's the temporary that we get sucked into. And It's important for us to see, look, it's not all about the temporary. As a person, you know, I get get focused on, you know, I'm, I'm a glass half full person, but oftentimes what that leads me to is just enjoying moments because I want everybody to have a good time. I want everybody involved. I want everybody to really be having fun, but oftentimes I don't see things with eternity in mind. And oftentimes God has to get my attention and say, hey, yeah, this moment's fun right now, but think of every moment as having eternal implications. And it changes my perspective as a person, but also as a parent. God has used this even in the way, kind of a morbid way, where he's brought me to funerals, to be involved in funerals, and also to be an attendee of funerals where I see people who have lived their lives well. And they live their lives with eternity in mind. And God uses that to redirect my attention to think, man, how powerful this is that they've lived their lives daily with eternity in mind. And it catches my attention. Hebrews 13, 14 states, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We are strangers in this world. This is not our home. This is a blink of an eye, your existence here on this earth. But you will be living for eternity. And the question is, what do we do here now to prepare for eternity? The Bible explains very clearly that this world is groaning and waiting for all things to become new. You have to be living under a rock to not realize this world is groaning. That it's hurting. Nature is hurting. People are hurting. It's all messed up. And the reality is we, as believers, we get to look forward to the one day where all things will be restored and things will be made new. But right now, we live here in this broken world. We live here in this messed up world and we need to allow that perspective of eternity to carry over into how we parent our children. This will help us to stop running on the hamster wheel of continuous correction of our kids. Anybody ever feel like you're running on a hamster wheel? It's like, look, I thought we just covered this. You look, I looked you in the eye and you said, yes, sir. And you said, I won't ever bite my brother again. And here you are. Your teeth were doing something they weren't supposed to once again. 
It's a hamster wheel. It feels frustrating, but the reality is this. If I parent to that all the time and just correcting all the time and I never get to what's behind it, then I'm failing as a parent. And I, I need to have an eternal perspective. It will drive us to parent the heart and to view our children as eternal beings who need help seeing themselves that way. If you as an adult needs help to see yourself as an eternal being, how much more do your children, your immature children who can't even remember to do the basic necessities of life, how much more do they need help focusing on eternity and not the temporary? And so for us, this is our responsibility as parents. Also, we can be disconnected from contentment. So often we are looking to the wrong things to satisfy. Like I mentioned, you know, I like for people to be having fun and I want to prepare, I want to have parties, I want to have events, I want to uh, just get everybody together and just have a good time and laugh and enjoy ourselves. But oftentimes that perspective can get me off track. It makes for an inspired junior high pastor and I think the kids in my youth group like that because I enjoy having fun, riding the roller coasters, going crazy with them, and having a good time. But it can also lead to a horrible dad at times. Because if I'm showing that all I'm pursuing is the next thing, then I show I'm not content with what is now and what is happening. Instead of enjoying quiet moments and still nights with no activities, times of rest with my family, I found myself... And we've found ourselves sometimes, although Candace encourages me to back up a little bit, we found ourselves signing up for the next thing. What's next? We got basketball. What's next? Soccer. What's next? Volleyball, football, whatever you want to fill in, theater, dance, gymnastics, all these things. And all these things are not sin in and of themselves. Don't get me wrong, right? But the reality is this, that oftentimes I find myself all right, yeah, we'll do that. Sure, we'll do that too. And this and that. And it's just frustrating after you look at this and say, you know what? This is a sign to my kids. I'm not content to just be with them and just to hang out as a family and to enjoy time together without other interruptions. But I understand many of you are not like me and you can just yell out a hearty amen or thank God. Because there does not need to be many more of me on this earth. But the reality is that maybe some of you find maybe agreement with me, but some of you uh, lack contentment in other ways. You may struggle with contentment in maybe fulfilling a statement like this. I will feel more at ease when. Fill in the blank. I will feel more at ease when these kids finally get out of diapers. For me, it was like formula. We had to do formula. It was so stinking expensive. Uh, But I'll feel more at ease when they finally go to school and I have my days back, right? When they find, when maybe when I get a promotion and I can really take care of my family, or I get that new house where we're not always bumping into each other, and I fill in the blank with all these things where I'll feel more at ease. And the reality is, you're not content. You're not content where God has placed you in the moment he's placed you right now. Paul from a jail cell says these words in Philippians 4.11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And going back to this quote from Tripp, 
the previous slide, he says, if you allow yourself to believe that uh, lasting fulfillment can be found in the comforts of this physical world, then your everyday life will be a hot pursuit of pleasure. You will seek control over people and circumstances to ensure that you get the things that you have set your heart upon. That misplaced desire very quickly morphs into envious frustration when you chase something that doesn't exist and can't be attained. That is contentment in creation. You will get exasperated. The harder you work to fill your heart, the emptier it becomes. You think Paul was onto something? This guy's writing from a dirty, stinking, rotten, nasty jail. And he's saying, I've learned in every situation to be content. I don't know about you, but not many of us can go that route and say, well, I've been through this and this. You don't even know. Paul was in jail. He was beaten to death, almost beaten to death twice. He was cast out for dead outside a city with the dogs licking his wounds, thinking he was dead. And here's the man saying, I've learned in everything to be content. So we can be disconnected from contentment, but we can also be disconnected from biblical priorities. You can ask yourself this question as a parent. What are your God-given goals as parents? God has given us all responsibilities to our children. You have to ask yourself, what are those? And you search the Scriptures to find wisdom from His Word. And in Colossians 3.16, we see a verse that reminds us of what we need to be about before we go and try to teach our kids. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How can we expect to teach and admonish our young children if we're not taught ourselves? If we're not learning what it means to follow Jesus, if we're not in love with his word and studying his word on a daily basis, how in the world can we expect to admonish and teach our kids with the grace of God? If we're not doing the work and being disciplined enough to be in the Word on our own, how can you expect something from your kid that you're not doing yourself? And it's all about biblical priorities. If we're not indwelt by the Word of God, how will our words ever be seasoned by its teaching? When thinking about this topic of parenting and specifically biblical priorities, I got on this, uh, this thought to myself to say, all right, I'll just pick on a lot of activities that parents get their kids into. One specifically that I've been a part of, guilty, uh, not that it's all wrong, but it can push you into areas that are just way too many commitments is select sports. And I've had both of my girls in a select soccer, and it's just like one of these things that just keeps going and going and going. But I think to go off on these things like AP this and advance this because it's all about my kid being seen as someone who's successful, right? Why? Why? It makes you feel good, right? It makes you feel like you've been kind of successful, right? My kid can dribble a basketball. My kid can sing. My kid can play the violin, whatever. And the reality is this. Those aren't bad things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking the arts. I'm not knocking. I love athletics. I love sports. But the problem is we get sidetracked. So maybe we can consider a few questions instead of me just bashing everything for the next few minutes. Let's consider some questions. What would your kids say are your family priorities? 
You don't write down what your family priorities are. Ask your kids. And be ready to be hurt. <laughs> I ask my kids, they'll be like, oh, well, you like the Sixers and the Eagles and the Phillies? You know, they start listing some things that I love. What are my priorities? What are our priorities as a family? Um, what do you get most excited about with your kids? When you talk about your children, what do you talk about concerning them? I know a lot of times I get caught up in their performance. Like, oh, you should have seen her out on that court the other day. You should have seen her. He made a basket. I'm so excited, right? He didn't kill his brother when they were outside playing, you know, things like that. It's all about their performance. And I mention that and they hear me. What does that say to them? It says where my priorities are and they're screwed up. And so the question would be, what do you get most excited about? Our biblical priorities and afterthought. More specifically, let's get into specifics. Do you have time as a family to serve those in need of justice? The Bible throughout Scripture talks about serving the less fortunate, helping those uh, maybe are single parents or, or maybe someone that doesn't have a parent or a widow or a stranger, an alien, uh, someone who's in jail, someone who's come to this country and that's, this isn't their country that they grew up in or were born in. Do we have time as a family to serve those in need of justice? And I would argue with you to say, if you don't have that time, then you're too busy or you're focused on the wrong things. Are you actively involved in the body of Christ? This body right here. Not the generic body of Christ, the overall, but this body where God has placed you. Are you actively involved serving and loving others and showing others the love of Christ through the body? Do you make time for date night with your spouse and do your kids see this relationship as a priority? If you find yourself only focused on your kids and most of your time spent dealing with them and doing things with them and getting them to these places and you never help them see a love that needs to be for your spouse that Gary greatly exclaimed last week about our love for our spouses is supposed to be there. If our kids don't see that, our biblical priorities are messed up. Our kids were not ever meant to be our focus. It's our spouse. God's given us our spouse. Now, we are called to train our children. But oftentimes, we get it twisted and we put our kids up here. And we give them a bad testimony of what it's supposed to be like as a parent. And so, it's a great, great challenge for us. So, do you make family worship a priority as well? You know, I don't think any of us in this room set out to be preoccupied by this world. We don't set out to, to be preoccupied by what this world has to offer and the distractions that it involves. But somewhere along the way, we start buying the lies that the enemy is selling. We start here with maybe a little basketball game here, or maybe a piano lesson, or somebody's really good at flipping off a pommel horse. Well, you don't even flip off a pommel horse, do you? Uh, but whatever it is. Uh, but someone's good at this, and, and you want to encourage them. You want to, like, foster that in them, that they're going to be great, and encourage them, right? And I'm not down in that. Don't hear me wrong. I, I want to encourage all those things in my kids. But somewhere along the way, 
the enemy is so sly and weaselly that he gets in there and says, give me a little more. Give me a little more. Give me a little more. Before you know it, you turn around and you're a slave to what the enemy offers and your time is all taken up and you have no chance for biblical priorities in your life and your family because you just give a little and give a little more and give a little more before what's left. I'm pulling my hair out trying to figure out what activity I'm going to get him to. I need help. I need an Uber driver to get him everywhere, right? And so it's a challenge for us in our priorities and Right now, the waves of justification begin to set in because they set in for me when I was writing this. Is this me? This isn't me, is it? Is this me? Is this our family? Am I giving into this? Even recently, you know, we were offered to you know, jump on board with a select basketball for both of our girls and play through the summer when they just finished the season. And we had to talk together and say, you know what, as much as basketball is my favorite sport on the planet, and if it was going to jump, push them into anything, it would be that. But it was something we had to say, I don't know. We, we have time for one more thing like this every weekend, pulling us away from the body, pulling us away from time with our kids. And is there time? Yeah, there's time. We could squeeze it in. But is it a priority? And we had to answer no. We had to just, no, we're not doing it. You know what's funny? Uh, again, I put my kids down a little bit in the beginning. My daughters, my daughters are amazing at basketball. They're better than a lot of those kids in place like basketball. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we are molding them and pushing them into this. You got to, you got to, you got to do this. No, they're going to be Okay. Your kid's going to be okay if you don't push them into everything and get them signed up for everything. Your kid will be okay and they will most likely love you even more when you let them just breathe a little and relax as a family. Scriptures are all about this. Uh, Gary gave me a good one that was like the theme verse of his family. 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Psalm 127, 3 to 5, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I love that picture. That there are arrows in your hand as a warrior being able to launch them out into this world. Not launching them out because they're amazing at this or that that we can push them into, but as followers of Jesus pointing other people to the cross. Here's the deal. You're not going to stand before God based on how well your kid compares to Steph Curry. Or singing like Taylor Swift, although she's kind of annoying. But uh, how they hit a tennis ball like Serena or how they snag footballs like Odell Beckham. You're not standing before God based on their performance or what university they get into, even if you pay half a million dollars for them to get into it, right? You're not standing before God based on that. You stand before God on how closely you led your children to the foot of the cross. 
That's where you are responsible. How closely did I lead my child to the foot of the cross? That's our ultimate responsibility. And lastly, we can be disconnected from true worship. When writing about worship, the Apostle Paul states, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He talks about worship and how that can be lived out. And I think about family worship and time where we spend together at home or out in the community. When I was thinking about that, I thought of this picture that was taken this past Thanksgiving. This picture was us just hanging out. And when I think of worship time and devotion time as a family, I imagine like we all maybe imagine this. They're all looking at the phone and the camera, you know, everyone's facing the right way and it's all good. And they're all actually kind of behaving, right? And that's kind of how I picture family devotions. They sit at my feet as the father and just say, please teach us a wise one, right? And then you get the next picture. And that's more what it looks like. You got one kind of angry or something. Sydney is always surprised at what Kendall's doing. And that's what you get. And when I was talking to Candace about this message coming up, she goes, I think I have a video for this. And this is an undoctored, not planned video that tells you how difficult family worship can be to get together. Check this video out. That's, that's worship right there. That was Christmas worship with the dog. So it is difficult. And the challenge for us is this. Let's think about this. Here's the reality. Oftentimes we do have things going on. You can't cut off from everything. But I know one thing that Gary said to me this week that was encouraging. He said, here's what we did. We just shot for one night. If we can just look at our calendar on Sunday and look during the week and say, what day can that be? It may not even be the same day because things change. But look and shoot for one night. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily just need to involve just sitting down and trying to get the boys not to kill each other or wrestle with each other, you know. Sometimes it can be serving together. Do we get creative? As a family, uh, when I was thinking about this, I, I thought of the Chambliss family. Seth Chambliss is the FCA director in our, in our area. And as soon as I thought about serving together, I thought of them. They go over to Rwanda with me. They go down to the outback and cook breakfast for for uh, ungrateful high school students. Sorry, high school students. But uh, they cook breakfast for them all the time. They just give of their time. And I said, hey, man, I texted them. I said, hey, can you send me a little quote of just something that your family has learned about worshiping together, doing devotions, things like that? And I was expecting a quote from him or maybe his wife. Uh, but he actually sent me this quote from his son. If you can, yeah, his son is Cooper, their youngest son. He's, uh, I think he's 10th grade, maybe 9th grade. He's 9th grade in high school. Here's his wise quote. We are good about having family time, watching a movie, or playing cardboard games, but serving together creates a unique bond as a family because we're working together for the same purpose or goal, helping others. Ninth grader. Do you think he learned that on his own, or do you think his dad said, hey, say this? <laughs> you know? I don't think so. 
This was something that they've done as a family since they were little, and they go and serve together. That can be your worship. It says it right here in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's your acts of worship, your body, worshiping together in different ways. And sometimes it takes activity, especially for younger ones, to get going and worship. So Tripp says this, uh, when you think your job is to change a child and you've been given the power to do it, your parenting will tend to be demanding, aggressive, threatening, and focused on rules and punishments. In this kind of parenting, you are working to make your children into something rather than working to help them see something and seek something. In this form of parenting, it is all about you and your children rather than you being an agent of what only God can do in your children. Your hope is that you will exercise the right power at the right time in the right way to change, so change in your children will result. That prof- process is profoundly different than working to be a useful tool in the hands of a God of glorious transforming grace who alone is your hope and the hope of your children. So we looked at disconnected things. Let's look at briefly what a connected parent looks like. Number one, a connected parent does not give unfiltered, unmonitored smartphone slash tablet access I could spend weeks on this as a youth pastor. Dave did a great job a few weeks ago. Go back and hear that sermon that he gave. But I'm just going to leave it here to say, look, if you are giving unfiltered, unmonitored access to your young person, especially letting them go in the room, shut the door, that type of stuff, it is a horrible mistake. And you will regret it. I've heard one speaker say it's like going to a warehouse and you know there's going to be 500 people at this warehouse and you got your 12-year-old kid and you're about to drop them off and you've never met anybody in that warehouse. You drop them off and you know half of them at least are predators. And you say, have fun. And it's worse than that. I'm not saying that to scare you, but the reality is this. It's very dangerous, unfiltered, unmonitored access. And I will say our 14-year-old daughter does not have her own iPhone. Now, I don't mean for any of you that have your kids an iPhone, go throw them all away. That's not what I'm saying. But I do know she's pretty well-adjusted. And, and I mean, like, she's not in her room, like, churning butter and knitting her own clothes and stuff. <laughs> like, although if you do that, uh, no offense, but... Uh, She's well-adjusted, a girl. And I don't think she hates us, at least not for that reason, right? She's okay. And she doesn't have a phone in her hand. And one day she will, and then we'll have to walk through it. We're walking through it now with Kindles and things like that. But the reality is they don't need that so early. they got plenty of time for pressures. Don't be an agent to heap more on them. That's difficult. Number two, we've got to move. Pray, uh, the, uh, connected parent prays daily for children. Now, I can't discount that one. I can't fly by that one. The power of prayer. Hearing my parents in their room when I walk by and hearing them mention my name in prayer blows me away. I still remember those days. I still remember those days when I heard them praying for me. Far beyond these other things like all the spankings I got and things like that were the prayers I remember my dad and mom praying for me. Number three, a connected parent resists expectations from the world. We've covered that. 
You resist the enemy and how they want to push you into things and being more busy than you already are. You resist that. Number four, you give grace, grace, and more grace. How can you not give grace when you so freely take it from God? You are called to give that grace out. Number five, a connected parent doesn't make children their idols. A connected parent does not worship their children through their actions. A connected parent loves their spouse well and does not make children idols. And lastly, number six, a connected parent is always learning from those who have gone before. There are plenty of people in this room that would love to sit down with you and tell you about the mistakes they learned from. Not how they got it all right and how perfect they were, but they would love to talk to you and help you understand how God led them to be able to see some errors and change things in them. So learn from those who have gone before. I'll leave you with this quote, one more quote from that parenting book. So your hope as a parent is not found in your power, your wisdom, your character, your experience, or your success, but in this one thing alone, the presence of your Lord, the Creator, Savior, Almighty, Sovereign King is with you. Let your heart rest. You are not in this parenting drama alone. Your potential is greater than the size of your weaknesses because the one who is without weakness is with you. He does his best work through those who admit that they are weak, but in weakness still heed his call. We don't give up in the face of weakness. We trust that Christ is with us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this challenge from your word today and from those who have gone before us who have experienced things that we can be encouraged by. Help us to live in light of eternity, realizing that our contentment, the true contentment, can only be found in you, recognizing that we need to correct the errors of our priorities, and that we can truly come to worship together as a family. I pray that as a result of this time together that we will all repent, that we will restart and refocus our attention on you. Pray for those in this room that may not know you as their Savior, that they may know that you love them, no matter what they've done, what they've been through, what they're involved in, that your grace is sufficient for them, that you died for them on the cross, you were buried and rose again three days later. Help them to put their trust in you. Bless us as we go. Help us to just continue to love you more each day and point our kids to the foot of the cross. In your name we pray, amen.